So I'm going to kind of age myself here a little bit, show you my age, but I was alive and there were TVs back in the 1980s. And yeah, I graduated high school in 86, but there were TVs back then. The TV that we had when I grew up, you had to go and actually get out of your seat and, and get a little exercise and turn the knob. You know what I'm saying? We were a little late to the whole clicker thing in our family. But anyway, back in the 80s, there was a commercial. Um, the company was Life Alert, and it basically had this, this woman named Mrs. Fletcher. She falls down, and what does she say? Help! I've fallen, and I can't get up. Hey, we got some other old folks here. Welcome to church, y'all. I'm glad you still remember that. You know what I'm saying? It's a reminder. Be careful, little eyes, what you see, little ears, what you hear. It'll stick with you. You know what I'm saying? But there's Mrs. Fletcher. She's on the floor, and she's crying out in despair, help, I've fallen, and I can't get up. So now I want you to just hold that picture in your mind for a little while, and it's going to come back here, okay? Last week, we ended Galatians chapter 5, and we were reminded that we have a choice. We can choose to live our lives God's way or, which is by the Spirit, as Paul was mentioning in Galatians 5, or we can choose to live our life our way, which is just living in the flesh and out of the flesh. And the choice we make is going to have radical, different, crazy outcomes. It'll change everything, that choice right there. But here's the reality. Sometimes, as Christians, we fall. Sometimes, as Christians, we fall. We fall back into old patterns. We can fall back into old ways of thinking. We can fall back into living for ourselves, the flesh, instead of living by the Spirit sacrificially for the Lord, we can fall back into sin. I didn't get any amens on that one. But anyway, I get you. And sometimes we find ourselves like Mrs. Fletcher. We've fallen and we can't get up. We've fallen and we need some help getting up. We don't want to remain there. We don't want to remain fallen. We don't want to remain on the ground. But we need help. Getting up. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Now, here's what's remarkable when we fall God doesn't freak out. Just look to your neighbor and just say, God doesn't freak out. He doesn't. He doesn't freak out when we fall. God doesn't run for the hills. God doesn't write us off when we fall. What does He do? We sang it earlier. He comes after us. And he seeks to restore us. Important word right there, restore. He doesn't write us off. He doesn't run away. He seeks to restore us. And God calls us to do likewise with one another. So here we are in Galatians 6. You ready? Verse 1, Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin. In other words, if you look back to what we just were reading in, in, in chapter 5, if anyone gets caught in the flesh, falls back into the flesh, chooses the flesh over the Spirit, if, if a brother or sister, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. Or you too may be tempted. And then it continues, carry 
each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The powerful words. God perspective right here. Title of today's message is Help a Brother Out. Help a Brother Out. Point number one, help I've fallen. Help I've fallen. Again, Galatians 1, the first part of it. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin. This is about fellow Christ followers falling back into sin. He's writing the whole letter. You go back to the very beginning. This letter is written to the church. It's written to the body of Christ. He's talking to the body of Christ about how to choose the spirit over the flesh. He's talking to Christians, those who are part of God's family. And he says, if someone, if one of you, if one of your brothers or sisters in Christ falls into sin, now it shouldn't happen. Let's just say that right now. And it doesn't have to happen. God's given us all we need for life and godliness. His grace is enough. It was even said earlier on the stage, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work. It's in us. It's available to us. We have all we need. So it shouldn't happen. Y'all know that, right? It shouldn't happen. If we walk by the Spirit, it won't happen. If we press into grace and lean into grace, it won't happen. But the thing is, is it, it does happen. Sin happens. It happens. Here's what I want to do. We'll bring a brother in the Lord up here. And I'm going to ask for a microphone. Do we have uh, this one right here? Sean, let's give a hand for Sean Donaldson. Come on, bro. So, you know what? I'm going to let's set these up right over here on the side here. Just, just like right here. You might have to adjust that a little bit there. So when I was studying and putting this, this message kind of together and how does God want to present this, it was early in the morning. I, I work late Sunday night on, on, on study and prayer into the next week's message. I like to get right back into it. And then Monday morning I wake up really early and it was about 7 in the morning and this guy's on my mind and his testimony and his life story is on my mind and in my heart as I'm studying this passage of Scripture about gently restoring, about what happens when we get caught up in sin. And so I started putting together the message, and then I realized by 8, I better make sure he's okay with me bringing him up and like having him be part of this. Right, Sean? So I, I gave you a call. We chatted, and, and you're such an awesome brother in the Lord, so humble, so confident in what God has done, so willing to share your story. And it matters. It makes a difference. Testimony is powerful. Church, testimony is so powerful. We are to testify what God has done. And the testimony typically starts in kind of a dark, disappointing place. That's where it often will start. So, Sean, what I'd love for you to do is to, let me get this. I'd love for you to, first of all, we're going to have two parts to this. Two parts to this. Part number one is if you would just share with us that help I've fallen moment in your life. What happened? You're walking with Christ, correct? Amen. You've, been, you've been a follower of Jesus, loving on the Lord for decades. And something happened. You want to share with us that? So I grew up in the 60s. I, got, I was very involved in the drug culture 1977, 
Me and Peggy got married. She had the same kind of background. Um, 1980, we got saved. I still kind of was, should I be looking down here? I was still walking with the Lord, and but I had one foot in the world. Um, it wasn't until 1984 I said, I'm all in. I gave up drugs, alcohol, tobacco. I said, let's get after this. So for 16 years, um, I was clean. And we were growing in the Lord. We changed churches. We went to a spirit-filled church. We were, you know, speaking in tongues. Peg was overseeing the prayer team. I was part of the prayer team. Year 2000, we went overseas. And it was part of the culture there. It was okay to have a glass of wine at night and with dinner or lunch. And even though I knew it was a stronghold because I was an alcohol abuser, I opened the door back up and the enemy came in and I had a glass of wine. And it was year 2000. And um, slowly but surely, we became social drinkers again. We'd have a glass of wine we'd go out or at home and and before long I'm starting to drink behind the scenes I'm bringing alcohol home I have alcohol hidden in the garage in my truck under the bed and our marriage is starting to come apart you know I'm becoming a an abusive alcoholic I never did anything physical but I'm you know attacking her um, she doesn't know what's going on she doesn't know I'm drinking I'm just, I'm just becoming a wreck. And my son, who's now 41, came through town to get some of his stuff. He was going to move back east, and he asked if I would help him go on a road trip. And he saw something was going on, and he said, hey, how often do you drink? I said, every day. He said, do you think you can quit? I said, I don't know. I'm not sure. He said, you need to tell mom. So I told Peggy at that point. Of course, she flipped out. Everything was starting to fit together. You know, I was lying, deceiving. I was, I was just being a jerk. So we decided that I needed to check into a rehab center. So I checked into a 30-day rehab center. Yeah. And, it, and it, it had gotten pretty bad. It was really bad. Yeah. It was, I'm, I was drinking all day, every day. Yeah. Every day. And it was just, it was just straight alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. See, this, this kind of thing can happen. Here's a guy wasn't looking for the flesh, um, and it happened. It happened to him. Thanks for sharing, Sean. Stay right there. Stay right there because we got the rest of the story, as they say. And, and now for the rest of the story, we'll, we'll get right to that. Um, You know, in the 16th century, a guy by the name of John Bradford, he was an English preacher, theologian kind of guy. He was attributed for making this statement. There but for the grace of God go I. How many of you know that? There but for the grace of God go I. And, and the history behind that statement was is that he was watching people being led to execution for their crimes. And he realized that that could be me. I could do something stupid or wrong, and sin in that kind of gross way if it weren't for God's grace in my life, God at work in my life. And the interesting thing about Bradford was that ultimately he was burned at the stake as a martyr for his faith and profession of Jesus as Savior and Lord. But here's the point. If we stop leaning 
on God's grace. If we open up doors, if we think, ah, we can, we can handle a little bit of this or that, we can easily find ourselves falling. For Sean, it was alcohol. 16 years sober, no problem. No problem. Door got opened up. For many men, it's pornography. Another secret sin that's hidden so often, but so harmful and hurtful. Women, you, guys, you, you ladies have your, your issues too. And your sins and the places that you can fall in. You know, the common one we say is gossip, right? I don't know. I think men and women both do that. And sadly, men and women both do pornography now and, and, and run into that, to those devilish, horrible arms. Here's a big one we must all avoid, and that's self-reliance, thinking that we got this all together, and we can do it as soon as you think you got your life figured out, and you got it all figured out, and you start running your life again, look out. There's about to be a reckoning. There's about to be a wall that you're going to more than likely run into, and a fall that's going to happen. But the question then comes is, how are we, fellow Christians, how are we supposed to respond when a brother or sister in the Lord falls, gets consumed by the flesh again. What are we supposed to do? Well, point number two is we are called to intervene. Intervene. Tim Hawkins, I think he's one of his things. Intervene. We're called to intervene. When a brother or sister in the Lord falls, we're called to intervene. Check it out again. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should do what? Restore that person gently. Restore them gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And then it goes on. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So how are we supposed to respond if a brother in the Lord, if a sister in Christ falls, finds themselves in sin, does something even stupid or foolish or embarrassing what do we do? The tendency is to run, to run away. But God says, no, don't run. Restore. You see the difference there? I'm telling you, if our response to a brother or sister making a fleshly decision and falling is to run from them, we have just operated in the flesh as well. Our flesh says and the world says run, God says, restore them. The tendency, especially for religious people who think they've got it all together and it could never be them, their tendency is to condemn or to cut them off, cut them out of your life. But God's heart and God's word says, no, 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 that's not how we do it in my family. God says we carry each other's burdens. We don't cut anybody off. We come alongside and carry their burden. It's not easy. It can be messy, but it's God's way. So here's what I want to do. I want to hear, Sean, from you, kind of the second half, and now the rest of the story, which is what happened, what did God do, and if you just want to weave it in there, how did the body of Christ respond, and what part did they play in this whole story? Yeah, I'll weave that in, because the body of Christ was a big part of it. So when I'm, I'm in, uh, now I'm in a 30-day rehab center. Me and Peg had just 
changed churches. We were going to a smaller church. She didn't really know anybody there. So she came to Evident Life to get ministry. She knew a couple women. She knew Tracy. She knew Velvet. So they started praying for her, coming around, a couple other ladies of the church. So I'm, I'm in, the, in the center, and she's getting support. They're coming around her. I get out of the 30-day rehab. I relapse right away. So then I check into a 90-day halfway house. And um, um, it's called transitional living. So I was transitioning back into reality. So Pay's getting some ministry, and I'm in there, and, you know, I, I can leave to go to work. And while I'm in there, I get a text. I'm in my little cubicle with five other guys, and I get a text, and I read it, and he goes, Hey, Sean, this is Eric Jones. I understand you're going through some problems. You know, we're here for you. We're gonna we're gonna walk you through this. We know this isn't who you are, and I'm a fan. And I remember looking at that text, and I'm going. And me and Eric, we'd kind of known each other from another church, but not very well. Just kind of how you doing, kind of thing. And I remember looking at it and saying, Eric Jones. You know, I don't even like the guy. <laughs> that's that's could be a normal response. I go. I don't even like him. I go, what's he mean? I'm a fan. I go, I'm a train wreck. I'm, I'm living in a halfway house. I'm crashing here. And he's a fan. So I'd been there long enough to where I could check out for four hours on a Sunday to go to church. So Peggy would come and pick me up. She'd bring me to church. So this was evident life. We were meeting in a upstairs in a business park. So I started coming there, and the men of the church started coming around me. I was meeting Tom Lewis was meeting with me every Wednesday. Matt Brown was meeting with me once a week. Tim Brooks was meeting me. Eric was meeting with me. Then Eric says one day, he says, hey, I got a friend coming from Africa. His name's Emmanuel. You guys, he was just here. So this was September 21st, 2011. And... I come down, he says, let's talk, let's pray. So I meet Emmanuel, we're in Eric's little office. It was a little office back then. And we start going through some scriptures and he gets to a scripture which is Colossians 2.14 and it says, the written code on your life has been canceled. Jesus took it and nailed it to the cross. Amen. And I'm telling you, that word came alive to me. I went, the written code, which is what the enemy had the plan to take me out because he you know any of all of us that are believers the enemy doesn't want us to advance and he was ready to take me out with alcohol you know our marriage was was a wreck it was coming back and so as i remember it you know i started as soon as i read it you know emmanuel says how you doing i started laughing i started crying i jumped up i thought i think all of us might have danced it seemed like to me and um but, you know, I, I relapsed a couple times after that, but I kept going back to that word because I knew the word of God was going to set me free. And I asked the Lord, I said, why did it take so long for me to get set free? People were praying for me. I was, you know, I had all these people coming around me. The church was rallying around me. And he showed me a picture of a hummingbird in a cage in a backyard and a little boy came and this hummingbird was in there. A little boy opened the door, the hummingbird flew out. A Couple of days later, the cage is still there. The hummingbird's looking at it. He goes back in, the cage door slams shut and immediately that little boy opened it up and the hummingbird 
got out and I, the Lord said to me, he says, you're the hummingbird. Jesus was the one that opened the door. And he said, why would you ever return to that cage of captivity again? So it's been 11 years. Amen. Amen. He's a fan. <laughs> and I'm still a fan, brother. Big time. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Let's thank Sean again. And here's, here's the thing. is God is in the business of restoring and redeeming. And Sean Donaldson is now and has been for years our minister of outreach here at Evident Life Church. And he and his story and his ministry and God's heart that's been moving in him and through him in such a passionate, real, authentic way, God has been using that to minister and change so many other people's lives. It's incredible. This is what God does. This is God's heart. To restore. To restore. And he's very good at what he does. When God restores, he does it. He does it. You know, Jesus set the example for us, as he has with everything. And there's this story in this picture that happened where there was a woman that was caught in adultery. And there were a bunch of religious people. All the religious people, the religious leaders of the day, got in a huff about this. And we're just so appalled that an Israelite woman, a child of God, an Israelite woman would fall into this kind of sin and operate in the flesh in this way. And so they did what, unfortunately, religious people do. And they brought her out in public. And they set her right out in public in front of everyone and started reading her the riot act and announcing to the world just how sinful and horrible and rotten and ugly she is. To everybody, for everybody to see. They had stones in their hand. They were going to take it the next step. And they were going to stone her to death. But Jesus walks in. He steps into the scene. The Prince of Peace shows up. I'm going to tell you what. If there's a situation and people are wanting to throw stones at you, ridicule you and do all this kind of stuff to you, Look for the Prince of Peace. He'll be, he'll be showing up. Okay? So he shows up in this, in this scenario. He writes some things on the ground. And he asks these guys, hey, any of y'all ever sin? You who is without sin, you cast the first stone. And you just see that, that picture of it's the Holy Spirit like just showing them the condition of their heart and their lives. And they walk away. They walk away. And Jesus continues to minister to this woman who had fallen. Couldn't get up. But how does she, he do it? Jesus comes alongside of her. I mean, I'm just picturing this. I'm, I'm adding a few things to it. Just, but, but, but he comes alongside and he comforts her. And he gently does what? Restore her. I'm not reading that into it. He gently restores her. He knows what's going on. He even calls it out. And he tells her, now go sin no more. Go sin no more. But the whole process, do you see the difference in the approaches there? How the flesh and how, how 
this religious spirit tries to handle things and how Jesus comes with gentleness and real care and gets God kind of results out of it. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of God. And God calls us to do the same thing. Remember what Paul is writing Galatians 4. You've got a bunch of religious zealots, these religious Pharisees, who think that they've got it all figured out, the smartest guys in the room. They got it all figured out on how to live for God. Here's the checklist. Here's the hoops. Jump through them. Do this. This is how you're a good little, you know, God follower. They had it all figured out. And Jesus comes and blows up their religious system. This is what what the whole book of Galatians is about. It's God blowing up these religious people who were telling others, this is how you have to do it, this religious way. And God blows it all up and says, no, 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 it's not about that anymore. It's about what Christ has done. It's not about you doing all these things. It's about what Christ has done for you. Believe, receive by faith. And he's doing the same thing right here in chapter 6. He is blowing up their wrong-headed way of dealing with someone who falls into sin. Religion tells us to practice church discipline. Y'all know that statement, right? Church discipline. We need church discipline. And religion says, church discipline. But when I read Scripture, what I find is God's way is the ministry of reconciliation. You see the difference? You see the difference of, of where it's coming from? You see, you, you, you just see the heart of God. He's called us even also to what? Church discipline? No, he's called us to the ministry of reconciliation. He's called us to come alongside of one another and gently restore one another. Not brutally berate one another. But gently restore one another because God cares about restoring people, about restoration. Doesn't want us to curse one another, but to carry one another's burdens. And Jesus knows all about carrying burdens. He is the burden bearer. And he's given us a ministry of reconciliation that's in 2 Corinthians 5.18. You want to know what your ministry is? There's part of your ministry right there. The ministry of reconciling people to God. Paul continues in Galatians 6, verse 3. If anyone thinks there's something, you think you're all that. Without fault, no sin of your own, you got it all figured out, you're better than the other guy. If anyone thinks there's something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Reminds me. Jesus teaches about get the log out of your eye first. Deal with your own issues before you think that you're qualified to go help somebody get that little speck out of their eye. You got got your own big things to deal with. So each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing. Oh, we love to compare, don't we? Without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. So, let's go to point number three. Let's keep, this, let's keep this ship moving, this train going down the tracks right here. Point number three is restoration saves lives. Why is it important for us to help a brother out? 
Because when we restore somebody, we're saving their life. Restoration saves lives. We step in, we help a brother out because we know if they continue down that path of sin, if they continue sowing to the flesh, it's going to lead to death. Verse 7 of Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh, they're going to reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, they will reap eternal life. Couldn't be any different, could it? Destruction or eternal life. Look, if we let a brother or sister continue down the path of, of the flesh, of sin, it's going to lead to a lot of pain and even destruction in their lives. But we have to intervene. We have to intervene. If you have God's heart, you have to intervene. James 5, 20 says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way. It's like, how can I do that? I don't know, but Christ in us, I mean, come on now. I got nothing but Jesus. So, Scripture tells us, as those who have Christ Jesus, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Oh, I don't have anything to offer the body of Christ. I don't, I don't really have any giftings or skills. I mean, I can't sing like these folks are singing, man. Woo, I can't do that. I got nothing to offer, really? Can you come alongside of a brother or sister who's driving their life off a cliff and come alongside them and gently restore them? Can you come alongside a brother or sister and help them carry some burdens that are about ready to take them out that they cannot carry themselves? Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Can you be that one who comes alongside of them? You want to talk about a ministry. This is the heart of Jesus right here. This is the ministry that we've been called to as the body of Christ to one another. Right here, this is it. The investment's not only worth it, but it's one that we have to make. We have to make this investment. We have to live this way. you're going to follow Jesus, he, he already made this investment. He made the investment. He carried our sins. I want to talk about some burdens. Somebody carrying your burdens. He carried your sin to the cross. The burden bearer carried your sin. He made a way for you. He, he showed us the ministry of reconciliation, of laying down his life to reconcile us to God. Y'all, we all have a ministry. There is nobody in this room without a ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Look, if you let me drive my life off a cliff, if you see me in the flesh playing around with whatever, this or that, and I'm driving my life off a cliff and you don't intervene, you're not my friend. You're not my brother because you don't care. I mean, let's just get real about this. Oh, I'm your brother. I care. Stay away from me, man. You're a mess right now. You're a wreck. What, really? I'm your brother? 
I'm your friend? No. It's hard and it's messy. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It's worth it because it's the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. Final point, point number four. Don't quit. Don't quit. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, in intervening and gently restoring one another. Let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, might not be the first day, first time you do something, first time you come along somebody, they might tell you to go you know where when you do that the first time. You don't know, right? But at the proper time, this is God's word, this is a promise from the word of God. At the proper time, if we live this way, this ministry of reconciliation, gently restoring one another, carrying each other's burdens, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. All right, you might want to make a bumper sticker out of this next one the Lord gave me. Here's the statement. Ready? Ministry is messy, and Christianity isn't for selfish sissies. All right? That's my man way of kind of wrapping up the message here. Ministry is messy, and Christianity isn't for selfish sissies. It's just not. Loving God's way is hard. It's costly. It takes time. It's messy. It can become tiresome. We can find ourselves wanting to give up. Stop serving. Stop praying. Stop giving. Is it making any difference? You put yourself out there, you're going to feel this way from time to time. Every once in a while, you get that woo moment, you know, that Colossians 2.14 moment where you see a brother you've been walking with for months and months, and the Word of God just penetrates his heart, divides, sets him free. Get in the Word of God, folks. Struggling with something? What does God have to say? Release his Word over your life. But it can become tiresome. Jesus never gave up. We're starting Advent season right now, y'all. Jesus never gave up. And we shouldn't either. We shouldn't either. So, we're to do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. What is the best good we can do for one another when we stumble and when we fall? You guys come on. The best good is to bring gentle correction. Gentle correction. And to help restore. Again, verse 10 of Galatians 6. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And this verse isn't talking anything about helping those who are materially destitute. It's not talking about financial benevolence. Although Scripture very clearly says that we are to engage in those kinds of giving and serving and care as well. But Scripture is telling us right here that the best good we can do is to carry one another's burdens, to help draw each other closer to the Lord in times of trouble 
and struggle. And again, I am so grateful and blessed and humbled to be part of a church that lives this out. That lives this way.